From Phil's VTech comes a weekly digital series where he shares his insights, concepts, and findings learned during his 15-year journey of working in the entertainment industry. Each lesson offers you a roadmap to overcome the challenges that all artists face on the path to success. Welcome to Phil's VTech Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and I'm joined today by a dear friend, Chelsea Galicia. Now, of course, that is not why she is here. She is here because she has written a book called Save Yourself, which the acronym for SAVE is to spend in alignment with your values, not your ego. Uh, She has been a guest on this show, if you will, a couple of times, and we've talked various stuff in the past. So I'll try not to retread some of that stuff because I'll link down to the, um, the prior episodes before that. Now, it, allow me, Chelsea, for your own benefit, I'm going to give some context and feel free to pull this as like a testimonial. Okay. So I want to make this as good as I can. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. So, I've, you know, I've known Chelsea for a number of years, but uh, in terms of the financial stuff, it, I would say three years, uh, you know, you kind of stepped into that lane of my life and you know, as I look at the current situation with COVID and, you know, the economic situation and so forth, I, I am very glad that all the steps that you have been teaching, I have applied personally and I can, um, you know, I have, I can weather the storm, if you will, in terms of the current economic situation. Um, and, and not, you know, obviously it, it doesn't make it any less scarier necessarily, but certainly I feel a lot more in control. And, um, I think that's a testament to you, your work, and of course your mom, because you know she's the linchpin of this as well. Um, yeah. So you know, I, and it's one of those things. I, I'm talking to a lot of my friends, and they're like, "Oh well, you know, they feel behind the eight ball." And I certainly felt like that too. And you know, this is this is obviously different than three years ago, but nonetheless, it's never too late to really start thinking about money, right? Absolutely, let's, let's no doubt it about there. it. Yeah, let's kick it off there. Like, what are your thoughts? Like, if someone's feeling like so behind the eight ball, like, give them some words of encouragement. All right. Well, first, I want to say thank you, because that is a really, like, touching testimonial. I mean, I know a lot of people, coaches are looking for a testimonial that's like, I was broke. And then because of my coach, I made a million dollars. But that's I did not, not make a million dollars. That's <laughs> not my work. My, my work is, first and foremost, to help people feel better about their money. And the first level of feeling good is secure and being able to weather the storms of the economy, of the world, whatever it is. So I, I, I thank you for uh, uh, allowing my, my lectures to kind of settle in because a lot of people are very resistant. You know, most of the time it's just like, whatever, I don't care. If something happens, that's what a credit card is for. And they live on the financial edge that way. And then times like this, a pandemic is when you're like, oh crap, that, that approach is, is not good. And even before the pandemic, there is a reason why we always felt behind the eight ball. Like I understand, and I totally believe in personal responsibility. We talk about that all the time. Your show is about that. Like we have a lot of control over our own lives. However, we don't realize the, the many ways in which we're kind of swimming in a sea of spending. You know, I talk about in the book how this country is like, we are obsessed with our economy. We are really huge 
fans of our GDP, our, our gross domestic product, which is the way that we measure the economy. 70% of it is driven by consumer spending. So that is what you and I make, sell, and buy. And so we are swimming in a, a sludge of you have to buy, 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 spend, spend, spend. Saving is for losers. But then in tough times, people are like, well, you're such an idiot. You were supposed to be saving. Yeah, that's what people say. But the whole culture and it's not just, you know, us shallow people in LA spending all of our money. It is in the whole country. And, and frankly, I think, you know, it's, it's in the world. I've been, I've been speaking on shows in Canada and, you know, they're afflicted the same way. So if you feel behind, you have some responsibility, but it's not totally your fault. Give yourself a little bit of a break. Understand that we were not taught this stuff in school. Our parents don't generally teach us about this, frankly, because most of our parents don't know. And if you're like me and your parents do know, you're not so inclined to listen to them. You know, I, I, I did, thankfully, um, at a good time. But this is just not in our culture to be really mindful about spending. In fact, like the people that we look up to are the people that seem to mindlessly spend money left and right. And we have that in our mind as the image of that's what it's like to be well off and rich. And that's what I aspire to be. And I actually look at those characters or like movies and um, TV shows, you know, like, um, oh my God, why can't I remember the guy from billions? Um, his character or, or yeah, his... the character, the character. Okay you know, and um, acts and, you know, even like Wolf of Wall Street, you know, I mean, we see, you know, depending on how over the top you want to take it, but we see people just spending without giving a second thought to the price or the value or anything. And, and if you think about it, these people have sociopathic traits. And yeah. so we're looking up to these people for what being rich looks like. And so for all of these reasons, we're all a little behind, but it's not too late, even in the middle of a global pandemic to get it right. And I, I hope my book is a, a first step for people who are seeking that. I, I hope so too, because I, I want to get your kind of opinion on this, right? So, you know, I mean, granted things are reopening, right? And politics aside, I'm, I'm just kind of from the financial standpoint, I'm looking to the people that I know that we're complaining of like, they're not making money, they need a job, whatever. And they're, they're going out to restaurants and bars. Like, where did this money come from? I don't know about they you. Never, like, I <laughs> they never had it to begin with. This is how people have been living even before the pandemic. You know, at any time in the United States, between half and three quarters of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, meaning they are barely making it. At the end of the month, after paying bills, they have little, if anything, left over. People have culturally been in credit card debt. And actually our debt numbers have gotten better since the pandemic, but it's such a habit to be, to spend money that you don't really have or shouldn't really be spending that it's hard to stop it. And also we use buying stuff and spending money as a way to feel better. Like there's all sorts of vices that we have as humans, you know, alcohol, too much screen time, you know, and for some people that vice, that soothing activity that gives them a dopamine rush and makes them feel better is spending money. So when times are crazy and, and uncertain, which you would think is a perfect time to mellow out on the spending, that's when it 
kicks into overdrive because that's what people have traditionally looked to to feel better about themselves rather than doing the inner work to deal with whatever feelings that they're trying to avoid when they're, you know, spending a lot of time on the screen or drinking or spending money, things like that. This is a left field solution, but in thinking about it, like, is there a form where they could like, I don't know, like spend money like to their family members who then eventually just give it back. You know what I mean? Like, is there a way to satisfy that urge, but in a harmless way? I haven't heard of any, but if you want to set one up, I mean, although I feel like people giving money to family members, they think that that's safe, but um, not necessarily. There are uh, quite a many stories of people lending friends and family money briefly and it destroying relationships. So I, I get where you're going with that. And I love the sentiment, but I think the real work is in dealing with whatever uncomfortable feelings are coming up. We're human beings. We have all of these experiences, these emotions that come and go for whatever reason. Could be the change in the weather, could be the fact that we're going through a pandemic. And our work isn't to try, I think, and perfect our vices, but hopefully it is to, to sit with it and, and deal with it and even reach out to a therapist if you need to. Like This is the time to, I guess, invest in, in feeling as good as you can about yourself without leaning on crutches that we've picked up over our lifetimes. Yeah. So to that point, if I may, I know you recently got married. Yes. Um, how does a conversation about finances begin with a partner? Because All I right. Mean, yeah. Because I mean, you know, I mean, it's one thing to align your values, but now you're bringing in someone else and it's like, whoa, <laughs> this might be a little scary. Yeah. I mean, and it's a great conversation to have because like the number one issue that couples have is over money. And the truth is, is that it's not exactly about the money itself. It's what the money represents to each person. And each person is bringing in what is important to them, but also the wounds of their past that they try and deal with, with money. So I know Somebody told me that when they were young and they grew up, you know, not very well off, they swore to themselves that their house would never look run down. Like that was just a decision that they made. And so now they overspend on home decor. Um, and, and just the realization of that, like, wow, I am making decisions as an adult to buy a bunch of stuff as a result of a, a, a choice that I made when I was 10 years, 11 years old, you know? So first, what we can do for ourselves is to try and be very clear on what's important to us and what are we doing because we're reacting to something from our past and to hopefully heal that so that we're not making decisions based on what it, our child. Well, I, and I think that's where the, like a why comes in and the therapist, because like, I imagine like, unless you're really doing some deep introspective work, that might not be something that comes up for you. As it to is why you are doing it. It, it. That's true. It is. It's one of our, you know, blind spots. Um, and that, you know, relationships are really great and they help bring to light what your blind spots are Chloe, so that Chloe you can do something you. about it. Yeah. You know, uh, otherwise we live like in blissful denial of our, our blind spots, but you know, that's one of the, the great, or at sometimes it doesn't feel so great parts of a relationship is that it brings those things to the forefront. But once both partners are clear, I recommend that each of them create their own save budget. 
a process that I outline in the book. And then that they, and they do it completely on their own. So no trying to influence the other. They come up with their own safe budgets. And then with an open heart and mind, each of them listens to the other about why they choose to spend that amount of money in that category. And to really come at it from a place of curiosity rather than judgment, like, oh, really, how, how come you like to spend twice as much on your wardrobe as your car? Mm-hmm. To some people, that might be ridiculous, but to somebody else, there might be, you know, the, uh, a, a lot of value in their wardrobe. It is, it is a place where they enjoy self-expression and freedom. And that's how, you know, to or me- Or necessity, like if you're a host, you know, I know like Daryl right. spends way more money on clothes than I ever will. Right. So, so it's, it's things like that, that if we can have open conversations with each other, I not hey. to be defensive. Oh, puppies. Hey, come on. I know. It's a good conversation. We're cheering her on, but. <laughs> um, you know, try, being really curious and not defensive. And, and usually the, the couple's budget will hopefully end up somewhere in between. But even still, even if couples choose to combine their finances um, and they have like a joint checking account, I still recommend that each partner have their own. So the money that they earn comes into their own separate checking account and then an agreed upon amount they will transfer into the joint account every month and then joint bills are paid from there. And that's the most basic um, structure that I recommend to couples, but it all starts with your relationship to money and being really clear on yourself. Yeah. Um, and uh, just kind of taking a quick step back. So um, like it, obviously the book is available. Um, I got it through Amazon. Um, so it's available there, but uh, as far as like other resources like uh, financially foundation.org, correct? Yeah. So that's the, the foundation that my mom started Um that she's the one with the really inspiring rags to riches story. She uh, got her education in accounting and business administration, passed the CPA exam and all that. And that's how I learned what I know because she asked me to be the workshop leader for that foundation. Of course, this year with the pandemic, we have not held any workshops, um, but we are still a, a resource that you can ask questions to or, or me personally we're around and we're available because we realize right now of all times is a time when people might be saying, you know, I'm finally ready to learn. I mean, I think it might be, I need to learn. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, people, people need to learn, but then on, on, an, on some level they have to decide that they're ready to learn because they, they, it will not seep in um, unless you, you really want it, even though you need it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people tell us, oh my God, I need those workshops. Oh my gosh, I need to hire you as a coach. But then they don't follow through. And oftentimes it's just like, I'm just not, it's, it's an emotional you know, block. So when I hear you say that you took the information that I taught you and then created the circumstance where you've been able to weather the storm, I'm not only proud that you like weathered the storm, but like it says a lot about your willingness to learn that you took on money. Money is a really, really scary topic for people, even though they kind of just would, would, would rather not admit to it. But there's a lot emotionally going on with money. It's much more emotional, mental, even spiritual than it is um, 
this tangible thing. And that's why I like financial coaching because it's really helping people improve their inner lives first and then their relationship with money. And then that shows up with what they do with money. Um, And you talk about that. I mean, you know, um, you have the myths um, and what, you know, one of the first myths is like money is the root of all evil. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's just one of, of uh, several that you highlight here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could certainly like, yeah, if money is the root of all evil, I could see you having an aversion to money in general. Right. Because we all see ourselves as like good people, uh, we think. And that if, and then if we see as money, money is evil, and then we have it, we by association become evil. It's kind of the same thing that we do when we buy gadgets or say a purse um, that's like really special and exclusive and expensive. We think that if I own this purse, I have it, then I too become special, unique, treasured, you know, expensive. Yeah. And so we adopt those characteristics by incorporating that thing into our life. And the same thing, if you believe that can happen with money, if you believe that money itself is bad, you incorporate that into your life, you have a lot of it, then you are assuming the characteristics of what you've assigned to money. Well, to that point, so um, you're not that you're anti-technology, but you're anti-technology as far as like dealing with your finances because of, I, th- I think this alludes to the idea that you're talking about, like if, uh, if you don't actually put in the work, it, it's almost like very systemic to, to go against you. Like every, all these apps are so designed to just make you spend, spend, spend. And by not taking that technology approach, correct. It kind of forces you to slow down. Yeah. So when I, um, When I'm teaching somebody how to become financially fit, I use a really basic rudimentary system to show them without technology. Sometimes technology creates like an extra obstacle to overcome, but also, and this is not my doing, but studies show that when we have like a physical interaction with something like a piece of paper, or we take notes that somehow it seeps into our minds better, into our memories better than it does if we use technology or if we take notes by typing, even though it's so much faster and more efficient. And it's just the way that our brains are. And I guess it's like, you know, oops, sorry. But you know, the other thing is like, if technology was the answer to cleaning up our finances and being on top of them, we would all be gazillionaires because there are endless choices of these tools out there. The problem is, is that people don't have a system. These apps are tools and they can be used. And I I tell people like, once you understand the system that I'm teaching you, if you choose to use these technological tools to help you, fine. But a tool is not the same as a system. You know, like you can have a hammer and that's necessary to build a house, but the hammer by itself doesn't give you a house. Right. So you, you've got to learn a system and it's not even that complicated as the thing. It's a simple system. And I mean, inside shit, the book of that, is very thin. yes, I did that on purpose. I wanted to just like dive in, give you the nuts and bolts and not make it seem like it's something, this huge, big, complicated thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just simple and straightforward and you get a system and you, and you use tools. And at first the tool is a, is a manila folder, then go for it. Don't be so proud that like, oh, I'm, I'm 
I'm, I live a digital life, you know, so many times things get lost online. I mean, like if you have paperless um, statements from your bank, your bank sends you an email, not with the statement, but with a reminder that your statement is available. So then you see that email, then you've got to click on the link to go to your bank's website. Then you have to log into the account and then you have to scroll down and look for the statement. And then you look it over. Like all of these steps, are people doing them? I'll give you one better. I know most people are not digitally organized whatsoever. Right. So, so even though it seems really old school, I recommend to people that they get their bank statements in good old paper and that they open up the envelope, take out the statement, never stick the statement back inside. That's what everybody loves to do with the things they get in the mail, stick it back in the envelope. No, no, we're not doing that anymore. And take a look at it. I mean, that right there, taking a look at your bank statement is, can be the, the beginning of the entire journey. Like, being willing to look at it. Cause some people are just like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know, but I guarantee you that the truth will always set you free. Even if at first it pisses you off. Yeah. And you're very much like when you also, um, we should clarify, I guess when you say open, it, it's also like set a time. It's almost like meditation, right? You set a time to meditate. So you set a time to open those bills. So you're mentally in that headspace as opposed to, Oh, you just got the mail. And you're like, Oh crap. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, in, I guess I'm tooting my own horn here, but like in (laughs) no other personal finance book, have I seen somebody write about dealing with your mail? But if you think about it, that's like the very foundation of dealing with our finances. It comes at us through the mail, either the physical mail or our email inbox. And if we don't have a mindful system of dealing with our mail, then things will begin to fall through the cracks. And it's the beginning of being turning a blind eye to your money. And that's when things sort of go out of control and, and arise. So yeah, the book begins when it gets to the organization part with how to deal with your mail. And yeah. it's not that difficult, but most of us don't even really think about dealing with our mail as part of dealing with our finances, but it absolutely is. So to that point, I'm going to toot your horn a, a little bit more for you. Oh, um, I think. Uh, you know, <sighs> Because a lot of the finance books that I see, they're on investing specifically, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe some budget, budgeting, but it's like not, you know, um, it's very cursory because it's like no one, when you think of like budgeting, it's very restrictive and it's like, that's not making me money, quote unquote, whereas like investing in yeah. terms of finance is this glossy term. That's where I make the wealth. That's where I, you know, so, yeah. but to me, it's like, if you don't master this, you, I mean, it, it's, um, um, I, th- I think Mayweather, right? Floyd Mayweather. It, it's the age old joke. He used to make $160 million on a fight and then he lost it. Yeah. So it's like, if you don't have this as a foundation, you can make a billion dollars and that tomorrow you lose it. Yes. I, I am so happy that you said that because that is sort of at the center of this question that's asked in the background, which is why do I have to worry about all this being organized and budgeting stuff? Why can't I just make more money? And it's sexier as a coach to sell a program that here, let me help you make more money. The problem with it is exactly what you just said, is that we as humans, unless we're financially fit, will spend as much, if not more, than we bring in. Remember I said 50 to 75% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That's not the 
like 75% of Americans are not living at the poverty level. That is including people that make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year spending virtually all of it. I've even read that 10% of millionaires live paycheck to paycheck. So it is a skill set to be able to spend according to what you decide rather than just the amount of money that comes in. So I'm wondering like, what's the point of, of investing and making all this money if you're just going to spend it because you don't have the strength and the skills to hold on to it and be intentional with it. So yeah, I'm not against investing at all. I'm not against making more money. That is all great and well, and I strive for that too. I invest, I try and make more money, but the foundation is still always being very much mindful and in control of how much goes out. I don't allow my expenses to rise in proportion to my income. That is how I know that I am in control of my money and that the cultural like spend, spend, spend thing isn't in charge of me. Mm -hmm. I want to get your opinion on this. There's a stat that I read. I forget exactly where, but, but uh, you know, credible source, you know, one of those like Harvard-esque type of studies. Well, I don't think it was Harvard, but on that level, let's say that um, $75,000 a year is like the threshold of quote unquote happiness. Yes. Um, meaning like that's the number you make. And if you make beyond that, it's not all of a sudden going to make you more happier. Yeah. Um, yes. I know about that study. That. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So that study came out a, a while ago and then it was uh, sort of redone and that number was bumped up to 95,000. Wow. So that's the number that, um, that if you make that amount of money, your day-to-day experience of happiness versus unhappiness is going to be the same no matter if you're making 95 or 195. However, they still think that as you keep making money, you're, you're, you still think of yourself as happier because then you get to compare yourself to others and see yourself doing so much more well-off than other people, and that gives you more happiness. So that's the kind of happiness that they think keeps going up. But really, to me, that's like an ego-based measure of, of happiness. You're happier because you are more and more and more better off than other people. That seems kind of terrible. You know what that, book you have to read? What is it? Infinite, uh, The Infinite Game. And okay. the reason I say this is because... So what that argues is that most people in business play in terms of uh, they think they're playing a finite game, right? So like, let's say a sports, right? You can look at a sports game and has defined players and defined rules and a defined version of like who wins and who loses. And I think in business and, you know, I'll, I'll, by extension finances, you can kind of, it's, it's a measurable thing, right? So, you know, you have $100,000. Well, I got $110,000, right? So all of a sudden I'm number one, but it's like, no, no, no. That's assuming that we're in the same game. We're playing by the same rules. We have the same objective. Like, no, you and I are two different people. We have two completely different goals. And so I think, you know, like, I think that's where the fallacy comes in of money is people are trying to, you know, define themselves as I'm number one when it's like, by whose definition? Under what rules? It is. That is so funny because like in this country, we really value our like freedom to be ourselves and our individuality and, you know, our self-expression. And then on some level, we all play by the same financial game. So you're totally right. I'm totally with you. And that's, that's why 
I am such an advocate of getting super clear on your values because I can win the game of money. In fact, you know, I, I, I grew up around people that won the game of money. My parents did really well for themselves, really well for themselves. And I got to see them do that, but I also got to see what it did to them. And, you know, my father, you could say, you know, won the game of money, but I still see him as a very unhappy, unkind person, unfortunately. And because I think he didn't play a game that was actually true to himself, he played the game at large. And by any measure, he's won the game at large, but it was not in true to him, his real self, his real values, his, him at all. And so I think when you win at a game that you don't even really want to play, you become bitter and angry and resentful and it carries over into how you treat people. And so that's one of the reasons why I can see it's so important for people to clarify their values, their own priorities and their own goals so that they're playing their own game that when they win, they'll actually be happy. You, you win somebody else's game. It was, I mean, it's so heartbreaking because you put in all this time, efforts, blood, sweat, and tears to have it all be for nothing because you still feel empty and meaningless once you've won that game. It's just, I mean. Well, there's that Jim, Jim Carrey correct. quote, like, I wish everyone had a million dollars so they could realize that it's not, money's not the key to happiness. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, I'd like that experiment. Give it to me first and I'll let you know, you know, and, and uh, some of us are, are not really keen on learning from the experience of other people. We think that we'll be different. We see all these celebrities make all this money and lose all this money. And yet we think that we would be different if we had that, you know, opportunity, you know, in the book, I, I talk about how Johnny Depp has reportedly made $650 million over his career and how apparently most of all of it is gone. And, and why, why is that? And people are like $650 million. I could never lose that kind of money. Well, it's like, you don't know because you've never had that kind of money. And people think, well, I would hire people to manage it. Well, he did and he sued them and that's why we know so much of the details of sort of his financial downfall um there there is no substitute for us getting financially fit and and we can have people on our team to help us um keep on the path but the path again has to be your own path that you lay out for yourself and then you have a team of people supporters you know coaches, advisors, and tools to help you stay on that path. But it's a path that you have to have laid out for yourself. Yeah. And I, I think that's a very key distinction. I know like, you know, like in the entertainment space, people have agents and they're like, oh, my agent handles that. It's like, well, technically your agent is your uh, employee, you know, yes. and that's so like, you've got to hold them accountable. And so from that perspective, it's not like, I mean, uh, you know, even in the best circumstances, any sort of money manager, uh, for lack of a better term, they can do what they want, but you know, it's you that's a spending the money dry. Yeah. Like, and if there is no plan and then yeah. that's the, that's the thing too. I, I, I'm always amazed. Like people think it, it's like most things in life, like, Oh, out of sight, out of mind. It's like, well, um, 
uh, Amanda Palmer has this uh, kind of saying, well, like that thing's only building strength. <laughs> you know, that like the, the small problem that you didn't want to deal with is only building strength to become like this cataclysmic thing. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and we don't want to look at it for all sorts of usually like emotional reasons. And what does it say about me and my worth and my, you know, all sorts of reasons that we don't want to look, but, but yeah, you know, the universe is here. It's going to send you messages. It's going to be subtle at first, and then it's going to get louder and louder. And we will learn at some point. I mean, I think that that's the way that the universe is designed. You will learn at some point. The question is, will you learn when it's a more gentler, more comfortable learning experience? Yeah. Will you only learn because you've crashed and burned really hard? I, I don't think we get to choose which lessons that we learn while we're alive on this planet, but I do think that we have some say as to what the experience of that lesson is going to be like. And it afflicts us all. It doesn't matter if you make 50,000, 100, you know, 5 million a year. We're going to learn those lessons and sometimes we have to lose them learn them, you know, with money. And I would just encourage people to shift their mindset as to like, I don't want to have any financial problems. So, you know, it's just like, whatever, I'm going to just throw money at it, or I'm just going to like not deal with it. But, but if, if in this lifetime, you want happiness and fulfillment and sense of peace, and it, it, it is not, it's not possible when the, universe is trying to teach you a lesson and you're ignoring them. I just, mm. I, I would be nice, but my understanding is that that is not how this, this, this experience of ours is, is set up and nobody is immune to it. Like, and, and we can try and, you know, ignore people that are advising us, but like, you know, I have a cousin who is an accountant for celebrities, including like Chris Brown. And can you imagine if he's your client calling him up and saying, Hey man, you really cannot spend X, Y, and Z money on this, but then you're that person's like employee. They can fire you at any time. So he could just turn around and say, screw you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And in fact, you're fired because you're telling me things that I don't want to hear. So it puts, it puts people, accountants and managers and all of that in really difficult positions that we can't count on them to, uh, to overcome based on how sort of like the power structure is, is set up. So at any level um, you have to have the humility to really want to listen to the people around you, even when they're telling you things that you don't want to hear. Yeah, that's, that's deep. Um, Well, to that point, I want to, I want to kind of ask you the, so as far as the intent of the book, um, is it meant to be just read cover to cover and you're good? Or because to, to me, it feels like read it cover to cover, but it's also structured in a way where you visit chapter by chapter kind of throughout your life as necessary. And certainly, you know, if you're if you're in the starting position, you're probably going to want to pull it out more times than not. Yeah. Um, is that correct in my assumption? Yeah. So it is, it's designed to be read cover to cover very comfortably, which is why I put in a lot of color and white space and chunked things down and images so that it was as comfortable as possible to make your way through the information. 
But I recommend that people revisit it at least once a year when they're redoing their budget. So the first time you do your budget and your save budget, it's, it's, a, it's a process because it's new, just like anything else. But then, you know, when the next year comes around, I would recommend at least looking through, getting a refresher of pretty much everything in the book and spending a little bit more time on the budget part so that you can really get regrounded in what's important to you and the goals that you have and then tinker with the budget that you created. I mean, year two, three, four and onward of creating a budget is easy when you've done a good job in year one. So if you just buckle down and put in the time and the energy and hey, right now these days, there's not all that much to be doing out in the world. So just, you know, really giving it your all. Um, and it isn't just like an exercise of like making numbers work out. It, it's, it's, a, it's an inner process first of just getting really grounded in who you are. That requires meditation, being outside, doing whatever it is that gets you most grounded and connected to yourself so that your own voice is telling you sort of like the numbers rather than your ego or the expectations of others. Yeah. And, and one of the things I, I, I love about your method too, like, cause we've been ta- harping upon like the work, work, work side of it, but you do designate a portion for uh, just treatment, right? On the, um, just that general term of, and whatever that may be for you, like, um, you know, it could be a hot bath. It could be a glass of wine, yeah. um, you know, something where you reward yourself for this work. And I think, I think that is key. Um, but can you speak to why you put that in? Yeah, absolutely. So that part is specifically in the paying bills um, part. So I, uh, most people pay bills as they come flying at them, which doesn't feel very good. So I recommend that people determine one or two days a month where they're going to pay all their bills and you know show them how to like line that up so that that's possible. That right there is a game changer. But then not only that, but on the day or days, if you have to do two days, that you pay bills you end with a very special treat for yourself that you only give yourself right after you pay bills, something like a bath or something like a scoop of your favorite ice cream, something that rewards you. And the reason is not just because it's a good idea to reward yourself, but because I want to help you rewire the way that you feel about paying bills right now. 99% guaranteed. I ask anybody, how do you feel about paying bills? And they're like, it is the bane of my existence. I hate it. You know, like what a stupid question. What is there to like about it? But it's something that we're going to be doing for our whole life. So why not have a positive appreciation and enjoyment of it? Like it's not paying bills might not ever be the most exciting time of your month, but it is a moment to be like, wow, I, I went to a lot of cool places. I bought some, some great things. Like, you know, I'm happy. I, I can pay this. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, treat myself afterwards because that will help drill in feeling good about paying bills. It shouldn't be this terrible, awful, torturous activity that we have to do because then, A, we don't want to do it. And then it makes something that we have to do in life so terrible. I mean, can you imagine if we all had that attitude about brushing our teeth? Like, 
you know, oh my God, those two minutes twice a day, I just can't, ha-. you know, we, we don't, we don't have that emotional reaction to paying bills. So part of the reason in, in kind of overdoing it on giving yourself a treatment is, is to kind of like Pavlovian dog yourself into associating paying bills with feeling good. Yeah. So it's like rewiring that we want everything about money to feel good, even paying bills. Yeah. And I, I think there's something like for me, right. Some, something I'm going to echo what you kind of brought up. Um, it is oh, for me, it's almost like journaling because <laughs> I get to see of like, Oh yeah. I, you know, I got to hang out. Not, not nowadays as much, but like, Oh, this is the day I hung out with my friends at blah, blah, blah. And we, we did that cool thing. That was fun. Um, Absolutely. I love that about it too. I'm like, what did, oh yeah, that thing. Yeah. It is like a great stroll down memory lane and you get to sort of re-enjoy, you know, what you did last month or appreciate that memory. Like it, it can be like a really cool thing to do. I mean, my husband and I do it together. We, we sit together and then like I teach in the book, we track all the expenses and, and, and because we have a lighthearted approach to it and we feel good about our finances, like, you know, the, we enjoy those memories again, or, or like, you know, there's like little jokes that come up and like making fun of each other. Like it, it becomes, it's actually something I look forward to doing. Um, and, and I just want that experience for everybody. I mean, can you imagine what a different place we would all live in if everybody felt good about their money and paying bills. I mean, it, I mean, just- it would be amazing. I mean, to me, it's, it's almost like the, there's no real difference as far as like, if, if you're, you know, working out to lose weight and each month, let's say you check the scale and you're seeing your, you, yourself progress in that sense, like the other side to me that I'm very happy about, it's like, okay, I pay my bills on on the large scale. And I look like, I still got, you know, I, I hit, I hit, I hit my targets. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. sometimes it feels, it feels, it feels really good. And, and it just, um, we, we just were never taught. We were never shown. We, we don't really have the experience of watching somebody else track their money, realize they spent in accordance with their budget and they've saved, they've paid down. I mean, and, and like what that feels like, like what a relief that is, I mean, and what that does for your mental health. I mean, it's not really an image and experience that we see on TV, or it's not really one that we talk about. Like when was the last time you told a friend, Oh my God, I paid pills last month. And Oh my God, that was, that just felt so good. Like we don't, we don't (laughs) talk about that. So most of us have no idea about how good it can actually feel. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's very interesting. It goes back to an earlier point that you were saying, like, if people aren't ready, they're not ready. Like I, I know so many people that say like, Oh, I, sh- I should, or I need to go to therapy. I'm like, okay, go. And, <laughs> and they see me as a cat. I'm a big advocate. Like I go and they see results. You know, they always say like, Oh, Phil, you know, every time you go, like you seem so much lighter. And like, I've seen how it's impacted your life. I'm like, so go, <laughs> you know, like what's stopping I, you? On some level, we all want to think that our issues, our problems are deeper or harder or whatever than, than yours. Oh, it's so easy for you because this. Well, you have, 
you know, well, you have Kevin and Maria in your corner. Of course, life is easier. You, you know, somebody can look at me. Oh, you, you know, you've had your parents support for a long. Of course, it's easier for you. We always want to, um, to, to, to think that our, that, that in a sense that we're special. Yeah. Our problems are different and, and you just, you just don't understand, but we all feel that our problems are more insurmountable than other people's and that our circumstances are not as good as other people's. But really, if you look at it, there's always something that you have going for you that you may not even realize. And that's the thing. I, I always like to flip it. Like, you know, I mean, we could sit here all day and be like, okay, all, all the things that like I, you know, that let's say someone else has that we don't have. But I, I always like to flip Like I have plenty of stuff that other people don't have. You know, and so yeah. it, you, instead of looking at like that uniqueness as a negative, it's like look for the 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 skill sets, the tools, the resources in your life, and what do you have? Because I always look at it. You know, I, I I'm a filmmaker by trade, and so I okay, I don't have a million dollar budget, but what do I have? I have creativity. I got friends that really want to go after a type of thing, and so like when you approach it from that mindset, I've I've always found you can you can find your solution. Yeah, it is so much easier to, to see what we don't have. And it is a mental exercise. It is also a fitness to be able to be able to identify your own skills, your own assets. Um, you think people just find that corny of like, oh, whatever, you know, you just because, you know, there's so many different versions of it where like, you know, write down all the good things about yourself and like, yeah, whatever. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm cool. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. like awkward to almost tout yourself. Yeah. Because what I think people don't understand is that when you do these exercises to the prefrontal cortex, to this part of your brain, where you make your like adult decisions, that all seems very silly. But what we don't appreciate is the fact that it has an impact on the center of our brain where our emotions are, our feelings are. And those kinds of activities speak to that part of the brain as well. And that part of the brain is really powerful in, in, the, in the decisions you make. You think that you're making all your decisions from here, but a lot of them are fed through here. Or if we feel really stuck in life or really unclear or like we're walking around in like this mud, this like with this constant cloud over us and we just can't think straight, that is because the emotional part of your brain, the limbic system and all that kind of stuff is firing off too many messages of stress to your prefrontal cortex that your brain doesn't have the bandwidth to keep it all straight. So you can't, you can't fix it by just thinking happy thoughts and like being stuck in here. You have to go back and fix the, the emotional side of that. And some of it is like simple things like journaling and gratitude and meditation that the prefrontal cortex thinks is so dumb but it's but it's because of the impact that it has on your emotional brain that makes these exercises so powerful but is also why a lot of us who are very like intellectually focused can't appreciate it that's uh I not to get too before. way too deep on the brain no, but no i think i think i think i think that's very necessary because like i mean i've you know i would like to say like I'm certainly not like an enlightened human being, but I've certainly done enough work at this point. And that's the first time I've really heard it from that perspective. Um, so yes, I too. Awesome. We've been, we've both been on this, you know, path of really seeking to, to understand how we work, why we work this way, how we are. And, you know, it's been in my research of like, how is it that some people 
can can like pick up my book and just do it. And some people just cannot, you know, it, it is not a difference of intellect. It is not even a difference of desire. It is at some point, it is things that have to do with your brain. Yeah. And if we just understood it, then it's like, not like our, our fault. You know, there are things that happen to us as kids. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this um, test. It's called the ACE test and ACE stands for adverse childhood experiences. And it's like a yes, no questionnaire. And if you answer yes to more than like three or four of these, these questions, you have enough trauma in your life that it will have a negative impact on your life. And I looking at myself like a spoiled rich kid, like, Oh, of course I'm going to score zero on this thing. I took the test and it turns out that I had three, potentially four yeses to, to this. So I'm like, wow, things that happened to me as a kid, and most of them were in gymnastics. And at the time, that kind of stuff in gymnastics was like, whatever. But now looking at it through the lens of psychology to understand that that was traumatic, because it was too much too soon, too fast, like too much for my nervous system to be able to to digest and to process is why there's some stuff stuck in me. And that's why I have work to release that stuff. So it doesn't cloud my mind, and I can think straight. So all of us, chances are, have stuff like that. We just don't know about it. And I'm glad that now things like the ACE test and, 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 and having trauma-informed this and that is coming clearer into, uh, into light because those kinds of things affect us. And even though for me, I would have never thought myself that I had gone through any trauma. Like, are you kidding me? How, how, how is that possible? But when you understand how it's really defined and how kind of easy it is for it to happen to a kid. It can help you clarify something all the way down the line to how you're dealing with credit cards 25, 30 years later, you know, I think it is all connected. I I agree. And I I think it stems from the idea that people don't want to unearth it because it's almost like they feel like they're defining uh, something evil in a physical right so like you know when, when you talk about childhood trauma you know like you said you know your childhood was on paper very good but then it's like okay so are your parents to blame it's just you know what i mean like it feels like naturally there has to be this blame outlet and it's like this is like everyone's doing their best ultimately yeah so it's just a part of life that yeah. you know it, it's not like it was meant like hey chelsea we're gonna do this to you Right. It it is not about blame at all. It's about that just understanding that in that moment something happened and it created like some stuckness in your nervous system. It's like you ate a piece of food that your body was not designed to digest. And so it's just become stuck in you and it has negative impact on you. So blaming whoever caused it is not going to fix anything. Understanding how to digest it and process it is what you need to do. It's not about blame at all. Yeah. But I think you're right. And that's what, one of the reasons that people avoid it, because then it's like, well, then you're telling me that I have to hate my parents or not appreciate them. But I know that they did everything that they could with the, you know, with everything that they had and that they were going through. Yes, that's all true. And still things happen and we have to, to process them. If you feel like you can't take on your finances, you can't, you're, you're reluctant to pick up my book or any book for that matter. If, if my book doesn't resonate with somebody, but somebody else's does fine. But if you can't find any resource out there, 
it could be that there's something in you still stuck that isn't allowing you to be uh, to to open to it. And there are some people that might even open the book and then be stuck. But I would encourage them to notice where that stuckness is, which is why the first three chapters in the book are all about your relationship with money. Because unless you feel good about a subject matter, chances are you're not going to want to do it. You know, you can know all the right things to do. Like most of us, you know, let's look at physical fitness. Most of us know, eat well. We have a basic idea of what that means. Move your body, exercise. Even if we don't know all the fanciest moves in the gym, we know enough that we could be physically fit. But a lot of us still struggle with it. Why is that? It's because of how we feel about food or exercise or ourselves and our worthiness and how much do we deserve this and that. And those feelings are what cause our inaction or our action. So even though we'd like to just gloss over all this feeling stuff, it is so fundamental um, that, that we can't. Yeah. I mean, I remember, um, I remember an example where, um, you know, they were trying to help somebody who just couldn't stop eating sweets. And when they got to the root of it, it was because um, the the person's grandmother died. And that was the only person in their life that didn't beat them within an inch of their life. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and it's like, oh, you, you, you know, you just have an eating problem. It's like, no, you have some deep, that's deep stuff. Yeah. And our willingness to, to say like that our problems with money or eating or things like that are not like a problem of willpower. Um, it, it, there's something more to it and to, we just have to think that we are deserving enough of a better life to go seek the help. And, and granted that cost money, you know, therapy is not usually free. Um, and so when you're already in, a sticky financial situation. And then you're like, and then I'm going to go spend a hundred bucks a week on a therapist. Like that just doesn't make sense. But it's one of those weird things where if there's a will, there's a way you'll, you'll figure out something. Um, and, and that investment should pay off assuming that you are willing to put in the work with a qualified therapist. And one thing I do want to say about therapists is that there are some therapists that their job with you is really just to talk about things remember think talk 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 i don't think that the regular talk therapy is the kind of therapy that's going to help people with the issues that i'm talking about here it has to be somebody who helps um there's different names for it there's called like limbic therapy somatic experiencing emdr it's stuff that goes beyond your prefrontal cortex into your nervous system which is where the stuff is stuck yeah. So I know that you brought me on here to talk about money, but, and, and no, this, this is all like important. A, it feels like a tangent, but this is like, you know, if you're really, really stuck, if you really can't like find it in you to get going or to stick with it, these could be the issues. Why? Yeah. I mean, I always say like, I mean, there's been times in my life, um, you know, dating back like, uh, you know, a year, two years ago where like, you know, I was in a much more precarious financial situation but it was the, the, you know, it was like, I, I, I'm going to spend this money on therapy because, and I always tell like, this might not be the most sound advice, but, but from my experience, I can't afford not to go. So if I'm feeling something in my life and, and even, you know, for me, I'm, I'm the type, like, even when things are going well, 
I go to therapy because like it's, it's a check-in and things like that. And, and I don't want things to get off the, the rails sort of thing. And I just find like afterwards, this somehow all of a sudden, like this thing comes in and this thing comes in. It's like, and I triple my money and I, I can't explain it. You know, it could be quite serendipitous. It could be because I'm looking for it, but like the weight that I used to have just continues to get lighter and lighter. And it's, to me, it's going to be a lifelong process, just like all things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't think talking about psychology in terms of finances is, 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 I mean, I think that that's the real crux of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you on the, like, can't afford not to, I mean, for some people that might not make sense, but for most of us, it, it does make sense. It wouldn't be that difficult to cut back on a few things that are not so important to us to do something um, like that. And I commend you so much for, for talking about it because you know, it's starting to become okay to talk about therapy, but like talking about it, like as an ongoing thing, whether things are good or bad and the impacts that it has on not only helping us deal with the painful parts of our past, but how it propels us to do like great things that we weren't even going to therapy for. But I think it's just because it helps your your mind calm down that we can think straight and be more intentional and clear on what we're doing. I think okay. if I had to guess what was going on and why all of a sudden you're like triple your income, I think I would, I would guess in my armchair psychologist way that that's, that that's what's, what's going on. But I mean, I think it's, I think it's great. Well, as we wrap up, so two, two last things, one, what's next for you, whether, you know, are you going to do another book, whether in the immediate future? And two, is there anything that you would like to share that I haven't asked you about? Oh, good question. This moment? Okay. So what is next? So right now I am building back up my financial coaching practices. So a number of years ago, out of one of the workshops that I was teaching, I had a woman ask me if I would help her apply what I was teaching her in the workshops to her business. And so that be, launched my career as a financial coach for small and solo business owners. And then through word of mouth, I picked up a practice that I love. Um, and writing this book, especially in the last year where I really focused down on it, I, um, you know, I finished up with some of those clients and then wasn't really trying to get new ones. I just, I really wanted to finish this book. So now in the immediate future, I am, um, I'm taking on uh, coaching clients uh, I still do personal finance coaching clients, um, but it tends to be more of people uh, running businesses either on their own as like therapists or lawyers or graphic designers or things like that, uh, or even those slightly bigger companies that have employees. But I will say this, that if you are considering financial coaching with me for business, that I require that we also tackle your personal finances because they are so interlinked. Again, most people think that, oh, if I just make enough money, my business brings in money, I don't have to worry about my personal finances, but it just doesn't work that way. Your personal finances can take your business under because we, we slowly start to eat into our business or our habits from our personal finances carry over into business. It's just, it's just not a, a good, a good look or feel. So I help entrepreneurs with both their business and personal finances, if I'm going to help them. 
So the, in the immediate future, that's what's for me. And I also am in the planning stages of creating an online course that would accompany the book um, because I think sort of a, a more like looking at and hearing from somebody rather than just reading it. And I realize that not everybody can come to LA to, to participate in a workshop and especially because we're not even doing workshops these days um, in person. So uh, an online course is in the works and um, let's see, can I think of anything else that you didn't ask me about that? I wish that you had, man, we really went far wide and deep in this conversation and I, I really try. appreciate that. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I would just, um, oh man, I mean, I would just in, encourage people to pick up my book from Amazon. I'll um, provide you the, the link so that uh, it can be included in this, yeah. this post and that you can reach out to me. Um, tell me that you saw me on Phil's show and I will, you know, at least for that question or so, be able to treat you like a, a client. I really do want people to feel supported by me in implementing this stuff into their life. And I may not be able to coach everyone or answer every question, but I will that's do why you wrote own. the book. Yeah. No, it, you know, I mean, that's, that's why people write books. So that way they get the base of their information out there. And I think it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, as I said to you, I mean, it's, I don't know if it was like the timing of it is always interesting now to like release anything. And so I commend you for going forward and putting it out there. I think it is, I, I think time-wise in terms of when people need to like really start thinking about this, uh, finances now is definitely a time that they should. Um, and, but, but to that same point, I, I really believe like what you wrote is timeless information. So, um, you know, even if you're watching this, you know, we're taping this in 2020, if it's 2025, this book applies to 2025, <laughs> Same as, you know, like I, that's, I, I think that there, there's really timeless wisdom in there. So thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, for our next conversation, I'm going to pose you the topic now, how, how politics and finances interrelate. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. That's going to be our next one. Yes. But that, that'll be, uh, we, we would be on such a different tangent if I asked anything close to that now. You know, I love that. You know, uh, that's one of my favorite topics because, you know, personal finances isn't just about how we personally deal with our finances, but it's like collectively, how do we deal with our finances? What is the proper role of money in our society and our government? Um, it affects our personal finances. It affects the quality of our lives. So I love that conversation and can't wait for it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, we'll speak soon. Thanks so much, Phil.